Welcome to Ease, the entertainment and showbiz experiences podcast. It's all things entertainment based, how to get into it and how to develop it into something once you are ready to move on. All the information people didn't tell you, forgot to tell you, or were too busy to tell you, all told through personal experiences. Welcome back to season three of Ease Podcast. This season, we're focusing on new beginnings. I'm so excited to bring you all of these fantastic interviews. This week, I invite my special guest, Adam Roberts, to come talk about how he wrote a whole musical in 90 days during the quarantine. We also discuss starting to perform at age 10, traveling through the world, and finding out how to be his best self. Adam also lets us know what he does to keep himself motivated and inspired during all of these times. I hope you enjoyed this week's incredibly inspiring story from my friend Adam Roberts. Please take a listen to this week's one-on-one. Hi, Adam. How are you? What's up, Teej? Welcome. I'm so glad to have you on. It's um, I we've had so many conversations over the past few months, and I thought that you would be a perfect person to have on the podcast. Um, tell everybody who you are and what you do. Uh, I'm Adam Roberts. I currently live in New York for about 12 years now, which is crazy. That's crazy. Um, it's crazy. Time flies. Um, you know, I've, I've been a performer for most of my life, an entertainer, um, you know, singer, dancer, actor, extraordinaire. If you had a bio, if you had a bio line, like on Instagram for your life, yeah. what do you think it would say? I mean, for a long time, it was like student of life. Oh, okay. I'm obsessed with just like the journey and the process and learning as I go and just like soaking up all these skills and like plugging them into my life. I and, mean, just, and just a few seconds ago, you talked about your parents. So how did, tell us a little bit about young Adam and um, okay. how he grew up and what that was like. Well, I'm from South Carolina. So I'm South a Carolina. country boy at heart. Where I'm in South Carolina? Parents, Myrtle Beach, which Myrtle is very... Beach touristy driven it's very it's, they call it the redneck riviera and it's, mm-hmm. it's true my parents are from nashville and musical family so it's very unique looking back it was it was so it was such like the norm to me being like oh my dad you know wakes up in the morning and he's on the guitar from you know 9 a.m to 10 p.m playing you know country western music and yodeling and singing and uh, my dad uh, my grandfather was a musician he was in the steel guitar hall of fame so like right on our bloodline. Um, so I was very heavily influenced by that, obviously growing up. And it was sort of inevitable from an early age. I was like, clearly I'm going to be a performer, whether I want to or not. But fact of the matter was, I was completely like enamored with it. I was obsessed with it, infatuated. My dad worked at a variety show in Myrtle Beach. So I would accompany him to work and I would learn all the comedy skits. I would learn all the harmonies. Uh, the choreography. And um, I think he said at seven years old, he heard me up in my bedroom, like singing and like singing harmony parts. And he was like, holy cow, like this is like a God-given gift. Mm -hmm. So he had me audition when I was 10 years old to at this variety show called the Carolina Opry. And I got the job. So I actually ended up working there for 11 years growing up. And that's sort of where I- At 10. At 10. Yeah. I was like thrown just like on the job training thrown right into it. And, um, I loved it. So did you, did you train to be a singer? No. Oh, no, it was just there. 
And obviously, you know, like going through puberty, like when my voice finally dropped when I was like 18 years old, yeah, I kind of had to like reconfigure things. And then in 2013, I had a tonsillectomy, which was really invasive. And it ultimately optimized how I sang. But again, I had to retrain myself uh, and kind of figure out how to sing again. No, and that's something that we'll keep going. But I know that um, that's something that we do with now. I teach a lot of... Uh, 10 to 17 year olds so there's that middle pocket where guys would normally be singing tenor parts and then all of a sudden we've we've come to that point where we're like i don't know you're like <laughs> <laughs> you might have to switch parts yeah but it's it's cool to see that evolution in guys and girls because it it, it um you, they do have to retrain themselves and it's such a fun process to see because they're scared of what's going to come out and but then you don't trust it, it or yeah like oh it's mm -hmm. not there when i need it to be mm -hmm. so you um started at 10 you're performing yeah. is this something that you wanted to do or is this desperately desperately really desperately. The funny thing was like i go back and look at videos of myself i had like a good voice but i was like i looked like children of the corn up there like the horror movie with the yeah. microphone just like a deadpan face <laughs> So finally the theater got smart. They were like, well, let's have you learn some like Jackson five stuff. So I was doing like ABC, it is one, two, three. And like, you know, implementing some like dance moves and like a little blues brothers number. And then slowly, um, I think when I taught your, one of the classes about a month ago, I was telling the kids, I would watch the TV monitors backstage. And they were like world renowned dancers, like musicians, I would watch the dancers and I would sort of like mimic mirror their movement and they would kind of see me doing it. I had these professional dancers like essentially teach me how to dance. Like they would pull me aside and like slowly start to like work with me on my technique and my like bodily placement. And uh, then they would plug me into the numbers. So like, you know, I would like, I learned how to partner dance at an early age. Um, and then in high school, my junior year, there was like a magnet school called the Academy for the Art, Science and Technology. So it's a public school, but you have to audition to get in and then mm -hmm. you major in subjects that you're interested in. And that's when I like officially started my dance training when okay. they like, hit me hard with like the ballet and the modern. Um, Did you feel like you were, you were too far behind everybody else? Uh, yes, for sure. But I, I had had some experience. So there were certain things I was good at. Um, I was, I was already like a very powerful precision dancer, jazz, mm -hmm. good, but, but then the, they were like, well, let's kind of like, re that's like, you have some bad habits that you learned along the way because, you know, you know, the fundamentals of ballet, it's like, that's what you take and you sort of build off yeah. of that. They were kind of like, we need to like deconstruct this a little bit, you know, and then build, build from there. So that's when I, I went back and really like took the magnifying glass out and took a look at my technique and everything like that. So pre, this was 10th grade, you said, right? 11th grade. Yeah. 11th grade. So you and this. I did not have my growth spurt until that year. So I was very short and very shrimpy and small. And then all of a sudden I sprung up to 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, and I was skinny as a rail and I could not control my body parts. Yeah. It was insane. I mean, yeah, you are a very tall human being. Big boy. Um, so nothing. You had no formal training singing, no. dancing before the 11th grade. No. So you just... Then, you. You went to like regular public high school, public middle school, elementary, and you were just learning how to perform from performers. 
Yeah. And there was no, like, I never did, I never went to a formal dance studio where, you know, it was like Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, jazz and tap, you know, and I, I was in a competition kid. It was very unorthodox, but it felt so very normal to me then. Like, it didn't feel like I was like, um, I don't know, like I was like alienated from the rest of the world or I was sort of doing anything that was odd. It just felt very normal. So what motivated you to keep going then? Knowing that you were, you had this, you're going into 11th grade and you're just starting this dance program. What made motivated you to want to continue doing that? I think my love and my passion for it. Like I think I knew early on, especially once I joined the theater and I was talking to these professionals and seeing, hearing their stories of their careers and their national Broadway tours they were on and working on cruise ships and you know, moving to New York and going after Broadway, I was like, oh, there are other options other than just a, a variety show, like a sort of like vaudevillian show in Myrtle Beach. Mm -hmm. So I think it was like that. I was just completely, you know, messed uh, with it. And I think being the youngest at the theater for so long, always feeling like I was trying to like work to meet their level of expertise. Like I always felt like I was behind. Does that make sense? Like they were professionals. Yeah. They had had years of training, work experience. I was always like, oh, I want to be as good as them. So I think it was like this constant, like playing catch up mm -hmm. to uh, like a crash course learning experience to but it, improve. It, it sounds like you so never- always like motivated me. It sounds like you never got down on yourself or hard on yourself about it. It seems like it kept motivating you to want to be better being in people's presence. Yeah, for sure. There were definitely moments of frustration because I was, you know, and, and aside from like the, the skill set, I wanted to be an adult so bad because think of, you know, you're the only child in an adult workspace and, you know, performers by nature are a little more like liberal and open-minded and fun and sort of sure. like a tribe of cuckoo people. And I was like, you know, just like Jones to fit in. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh, we can't say that around Adam. He's too young. And I was like, yes, you can. I'm one of you. I swear I'm an adult. Yes. You know, so I like, had that life, but then I had like, you know, the dichotomy of that. And then also just trying to be a normal kid. Yeah in high school and you know, the kids were kind of like, oh, so you like work professionally already. You're doing this in front of 2000 people a night, uh, you know, and like performing in front of the school for functions and being in the school plays and then like being on the track team and being in the, or the you know, playing trumpet for seven years. And it was just like juggling a lot. Yeah, so it sounds like you did a lot of other things outside of performing. So you did, you, you participated in like sports and did all that whole nine yards yeah. as well? Yeah, I did, I did. A country and track in high school uh i tried to be in the swim team for a few years but i kept coming in second and i got very <laughs> over it quick yeah. uh yeah so the good thing about the it's called the carolina opry where i worked they made lots of allowances with me like they were like if you need to not be in the show tonight you can we can work around it sure so well, they were pretty flexible with that that's always a good thing so um yeah. this the the theme for this this series of podcasts is reinventing and i feel like at a after after high school you kind mm -hmm. of have to make that first reinvention process happen mm -hmm. where you're going to decide what you're going to do so take us through what you're thinking and then what you're going to do after you graduate from high school i was like really ready to leave myrtle beach and to get the yeah. heck out of there but luckily i had a good head on my shoulders and i was like wait let me like heed my dad's advice to go to college and to have something to fall back on because he knows from firsthand experience that it's like, you can't always rely on the business. So I went to Coastal Carolina, um, mm -hmm. which local in Myrtle Beach. I had some scholarships, uh, which luckily paid for 
a good portion of it um, because our family doesn't come from money. <laughs> they were like, we can't finance this for you. So sorry, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I had this job, this amazing job, which paid for my college. So I worked six nights a week. Oh. It was honestly looking in retrospect. I'm like, how the hell did I survive this time? It was, I did it in three years instead of four. Yeah. I was jealous. So, which meant I did, I had to get special permission from the Dean to do 21 credit hours a semester. Yep. Doing summer courses. So school year round, six, six nights a week of doing the show. I was teaching dance on Saturdays oh. at this dance studio. And then my dad, my sweet dad is a guitar teacher. And he had a guitar ministry called Jamming for Jesus, nice. JK with a little fish symbol. And uh, he, and so on Saturdays after dance class, I would go to, to Little River, the town where they lived, and I would help him with the guitar students because he was also a vocalist and he had allergies. And he was like, I can't sing. So I would sing these songs. I'd be like, shout to the Lord of the earth, let us sing. And you know, they're playing guitar. And then we, on Sundays, we would do like a church circuit. So basically, yeah. we would give these students an opportunity once a month to perform for a live audience at these churches. And so me and my brother and sister would sing. Anyways, so I'm going to college. I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm somehow still managing to have some semblance of a social life. Killed myself. Completely killed myself. But I majored in musical theater oh. in Carolina. I minored in business administration because they kind of go hand in hand. Um, so to answer your question... I sort of have, I just, I knew I wanted to do musical theater and Broadway, but I'd only been doing like vaudeville and stuff where I'm presenting to the audience and it's like, I'm winking and I'm pointing and it's like, you know, you're performing for the crowd as opposed to being a character yeah. and telling a particular story. So I was in for a rude awakening when I got there and it's like, you know, everyone kind of locally knew who I was and stuff, but I was like, oh, I need to like be an actor now. Mm -hmm. So I felt very sort of, um, behind the sure. curve as far as that goes. So I was like, oh, and I, then my acting teachers really had to, to make me unlearn a lot of bad habits. Where they're like, you can't just close your eyes and American Idol, you know, sing. It's like, you have to really, first of all, know yourself, mm -hmm. which I did not then, be very grounded, you know, plant your feet into the ground like roots and fully commit to these characters. You have to do a whole, you know, your background, your research on who, it, what's your motivation? What's your intention? So it was just sort of like training myself to perform through and through that lens mm -hmm. uh, and not just be Adam Roberts performing for, you know, the masses, but it's like, I'm this character. But then I became obsessed with that because I kind of got to like lose myself. Yeah. And, and so that was like a new skill set I had to hone. Um, I learned a lot in college as far as that goes. And it sort of broke down my my defenses I put up. Sure. Being, yeah. being a perfectionist and being this like, you know, this unflappable Adam Roberts that like, you know, can do it all, that they can get up in front of the audience every night and do it and still make good grades in school and prove to his family that he could do it, you know. Yeah. And I, and then I had to become vulnerable again. And I learned how to like cry again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just break down the walls in order to like tap into those those different characters and those yeah. emotions that the roles called for. So but I re definitely reinvented myself in that way in college. Yeah, it sounds like you're taking this new path and it's I yeah. mean it's something brand new seeming like um but you're doing you're doing musical theater, you're doing a church singing and mm. you're doing Motown at night or uh, yeah, theater. Well, yeah. 
when you're in college, which one is your favorite? Which one you're like, I this is my thing. I want to do this forever. Definitely musical theater. Musical like, theater. Yeah, being in those classes and getting to be part of a a tribe of people like that, where you're you're coming together to put on to tell to tell a particular story. Whereas at the Carolina Opry, it's a little more arbitrary. It's like you know you have your solos, but it doesn't mean anything. You're just like you're singing like you know. Uh, I don't know, like uh, like a, a Dora song, or you're singing like a Rolling Stones song, and it's like that's that, and then you move on to the next, the next number you have. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely became really obsessed with with theater. Where I was like, I want to go to New York, and I want to do specifically this. So after college, did you go to New York and specifically do that? Again, somebody was looking out for me because I, a was not ready, mature wise, mentally, emotionally. Uh, B Financially, I had, you know, zero dollars because I'd blown it all in college, rightfully so. So a lot of my my friends and colleagues and mentors at the Carolina Opry, they were like a good stepping stone job, uh, especially like when you're young and you're, you're, you're not tied down by anything, is to work on cruise ships. Q, you. Mm -hmm. So in 2007, when I graduated, that I did, I did video submissions. So I got oh. hired with um, Holland America to be mm -hmm. an M2, which is like a singer dancer on a cruise ship. And we rehearsed in LA uh, for two months. And then we set sail, I think January, 2008. Um, so I did that contract for about six months to save, I like, you know, save my coin. Mm -hmm. so I came off of that contract with a nice lump sum to then move to New York. Yeah. yeah. So did you, I know a lot of people say that cruise ships are like a stepping stone to get to where mm -hmm. you want to do. What part of being a cruise ship performer surprised you the most? If you can, if you can work on a cruise ship as a performer, you can do anything. Uh, it's yeah. the hardest job you'll ever have. People like sleep and they they poo poo it. I'm like, listen, the amount, the amount of like busyness you're doing in a show in a 45 minute show. I mean, they cram it full of everything, all the bells and whistles, all the notes, all the dance moves, all the costume changes. Mm -hmm. it's insane. I've never worked that hard. I've never burned that many calories. I've never sweat that much. And to add, you know, insult to injury, you got the ship, you yeah. know, undulating and all over the place. So I learned, I was like, oh, wow. Like if you can, if you can cut your teeth here, you can mm. literally, I mean, just the work ethic of like, you know, yeah. preparing the show, being able to like perform it. And then it's insane. People, yeah, you don't realize the amount, you know, and even like, you know, working on ships, it's like the other departments, they hate the performers because they're like, oh, you know, they get to just sing and dance. I'm like, well, we've trained our whole lives for this and yeah. we have a condensed moment. Maybe it's two or three hours a night, but it's like we, we're not behind a partition or like, you know, you know, nodding off on a computer or whatever it is. We're like hardcore boss to the wall, like yeah. laying it all out there. There's no, there's no, you know, taking a smoke break or. You know, mm -hmm. dreaming for a second. It's like you have to be present, fully committed. Full yeah. Drive. I recommend it to anyone and everyone to do. Yeah. It's like really a package, literally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, quick changes or learning something is as quickly and as intensely as that. It really yeah. does a lot of things for your brain power and your short term memory. It's so yeah. strange what it does for you. Not to mention, like, I can easily say, I had some of the best times of my life. I did two contracts. 
mm-hmm. both contracts. And I know we've we've all heard horror stories of people that like get a terrible group of people and they all hate each other. And it's like you know, you're stuck together. I hit the jackpot. Yeah. Both of my contracts, I had wonderful people. We all became family. Of course, there were like little squabbles, and of course, everyone wasn't best friends, but there was no serious drama. Um, mm-hmm. And I had great itineraries. Yeah. It wasn't like we were like in Alaska for 10 months. It was like we were bouncing all over the world. And I, you know, I'd never been, really seen the world before. Like yeah. you're being paid on someone else's dime to see the world. And, and yeah. I think that really, um, uh, instilled in me like my love for travel like to this day traveling is my number one favorite thing to do i can't get it i feel like people that have been on cruises or that worked on cruise ships uh, i asked them that question like what's your favorite place to ever that you've ever visited and you can see the wheels turning because there's so many great places that you've been for been to but it's hard to choose the exact moment that you felt like wow it all came together and this is my favorite place i've ever been no it's, it's such a unique way to travel too, because you kind of get like a taste of everything. Yeah. And then when you have like repeat ports, like if you know have an overnight in Venice or an overnight in Barcelona, you get you know, you're back there every few weeks, so you get to do something new each time, and then you like learn the lay of the land, and you're like, okay, now I don't have to waste time, you know. And yeah. this is before GPS. This is before like let's just oh, ask exactly. Siri. This is like you have to ask. You know, go to the what's the um, the position on the ship, the travel advisor, what is it? What oh is it? yeah, like the travel guide or yeah, they are different. You're yeah. on your and like hand drawn maps from the place yeah. that you're in, and you hope that these yeah. are correct. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it always boggles my mind because I think that people always think that my friends or people that I talk to are travel snobs because we've been to so many incredible mm-hmm. places. So it's like, oh, where would you like to go next? And there, and these young people that I know, 20-somethings are like, oh, I want to go to like Antarctica. And people are like, you don't want to go to like Texas? And they're like, oh, I've been there, done that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're like spoiled brats, but, I, yeah. but we earned it. I think we earned yeah. it. I mean, I remember the I remember the time that I was like, ne- I would never even have considered that my life would take me to Iceland, and I was like, oh, I just thought it was like a, a far off, distant home. Right. Narnia. And, yeah, and then I was like, I wound up being in in Iceland every two weeks for like four months, and I was like, oh, and then when I get back home, people are like, oh, where did you go? I was like, oh yeah, I went to Iceland, and they're like, what? I was like, oh yeah, I actually went to Greenland too. Oh, <laughs> and then I'm like, they're like, where do you want to go next? I'm like, mm, Orlando. <laughs> right. Oh, no, you're right though. You get you get desensitized almost. Like I remember at one point we were doing like a uh, a repositioning cruise from like Asia to I think Canada or Alaska, and we were hitting all these like Papua New Guinea, New Caledonia, you know. And it's like you wake up every day and you just, you lose track because the time zone just switching. And I'm like, where are we today? It just becomes so casual. Are you like, oh, we're in Guam? Okay. Well, what should we do today? All right. Well, we'll get on like jet skis and we'll, like I don't know, or like you know, it, yeah. You wake up and you're just like, hmm. I'm in um, <laughs> I don't know, like Monaco. Like all right, let's our day. Oh, yeah. It's it's yeah. such commonplace. And then it's like, oh, we were in Monaco. I guess let's go have pizza. And you're like, who's gonna have pizza in Monaco? It, yeah, you kind of create your own adventure. <laughs> yeah, it's the fun part. So you're doing you did cruise ships. He said the the contracts were shorter back then, so it only probably was about a year of your life if you did yeah. two. Yeah, the second one though, as you know, because you came on it, was a yeah. new one. So we were in rehearsals for two months, and then we were like in dry dock or like what's it called? Yeah. The ship still in mm-hmm. the what do you call it? The shipyard. 
The shipyard. Thank you. It was like there for a month. So we were rehearsing from like midnight to six in the morning for like yeah. living in Mestre anyways. And then we, we sailed for about eight or nine months. And then there was an injury, another injury, not my injury from one of the guys coming to replace us. Yeah. So they asked me to stay another month. So I had to go through turnover with a new cast. Yeah. And they'd switched some stuff around. So I had to relearn stuff after like 10 or 11 months. Yeah. It was crazy. But again, keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Sorry. Apologies. He broke his hand. Yes. That's right. Was it Don Wolf? It was Scrog. I, yeah. 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 Don Wolf. Because Scroggins was there. That's right. Yeah. He broke his hand. I remember. Those were the days. I was like, oh, no. Um, those tracks were so specific. They're like, so we're going to have you do a switch lead, switch second, jump off a car, and then also hit a high C. Yes. While you're like doing a split. And you're like, what? Well, and the, the funny thing about that show was, we didn't we the people that built it were dancers right none of us sang so yeah. it wasn't like we were we were kind of giving advice about how we would be singing it we were like yeah let's do this hard steps yes i'll never forget i would be so frustrated because trying to sing rubber band man and it was like, you're on this tire mountain. You're going to like step out down these steps with this like tire iron. You're going to be spinning and flipping and twirling and like a hat. Core. I'm like, can I just like bop sing. on the side and like sing this song, this groovy song? The dancers are all giving it around. me. They don't need to see me kicking a, and twirling it and spinning. And it yeah. was insane. I was like, can I, I have to, you have to sacrifice something. You either have to sacrifice the vocals to like amp up the dance moves or like mark the dance moves a little bit to sound somewhat decent. That yeah. was always the the conflict with me. I was always like, oh God. And then but there was the finale where you were like jumping around and elephants and fire and cars and parades. What's happening? <laughs> and what's happening. Um, so after you you do the new build, uh, do you move to New York? Yes. Oh, I, I was it was definitely a wake up call. I had this notion of what New York would be and how I would fit into the big puzzle. And I, you know, I was like, you know, with a dance belt and a tube of chapstick, bright eyed and butcher belt, I was like, I'm going to move and audition and, you know, maybe slum it for a second, but then like have my big break. And it took years. How long did it take you? Yeah. Well, so here's the deal. I did my first contract, moved to New York, was there for two years, left to do the new Amsterdam. Okay. And then came back in 2011. And that's when I booked Spider-Man. But those oh. the first two years there, I hmm, how do I say this? I was not out of the closet yet. Okay. I was still living in like deep, 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 deep denial about who I was. And it's like, mm -hmm. how do you show up and into these rooms with these casting directors and choreographers and directors and authentically, genuinely give a performance? If you, you don't even know who you are, I was so insecure. Even after having worked professionally for 11 years, it was a very particular kind of performing. And it was under this, it was like in this little snow globe. It was like this beautiful little like thing that was very protected. Mm -hmm. Moving to New York, it was like, oh, now I'm exposed. So mm -hmm. now you're like a small fish in a huge pond, not yeah. the other way around. So it, 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 I had to like really learn who I was and finally come to terms with who I was and learn to love myself and learn to like own up to my greatness and my power, because I would just like power away. I was like, oh, I don't, I, I feel like I didn't deserve it or something. Yeah. Anyways, so it was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of failing and like falling flat on my face and and learning that like, oh, I have to like work even harder. 
what made it, what motivated you to keep going doing it? Because two years is a long stint of not yeah kind of working or doing anything. The good thing was I had I had a lot of people here that from like other pockets of my life that had lived in New York. I had a built-in network of people, so like mm -hmm. that support system really they bolstered me. It kept me grounded. Um, I, I did. I started working for the USO. Okay, I think yeah. I lived here, and I've actually I worked with them for ten years since then in the performing show troupe. We performed all over the world, and I worked administratively for them for a while. So I had like little little gigs here and there. I was like a part of a dance company for a while. It was like um, a guy, a gentleman that was with the Alvin Ailey Dance Company, Michael Thomas. He started his own dance company. I was in that company. Um, just like little things that, that sort of like would keep me keep me coming back for more. I was like, oh, okay. I feel like I'm on the verge of something great mm -hmm. here. And it's that's the thing about New York. I think you're just you're constantly challenged and you're yeah. inspired by everyone around you. It's like this this communal sort of like breathing heartbeat mm -hmm. together you know what i mean and i feel like it was just like i knew i could do it and i really 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 wanted it and i wanted to prove to myself that i could do it so i think i just kept sticking it out and then knowing that you wanted to stick it out and this is the same thing i asked erica a couple years back is what made you want to leave and come back knowing how hard it was to get the the ball rolling there what made you want to leave and say hey i want to go do this this cruise contract for a year and then come back i think the city had broken me down so uh, much and i think this opportunity came and they pitched it with this like in a pretty bow they're like you know it's a, you're in the inaugural cast and i was just like itch i was like just like really wanting to perform i hadn't really gotten to do that on a steady you know level in a while so like this opportunity and i was like ready to travel um i was, I was almost like ready to prove to myself that i could i could still do it Mm -hmm. So like, to be part of this cast and, you know, on a ship, it's like, you're a celebrity. It's like, everyone's yeah. like, Oh my God, you guys are amazing. And the difference between first ship and the second was I'd come out of the closet. So it was the uh -huh. first time in my life I entered into a new situation. I'll never forget. They were like, you know, I introduced to the cast and I got to be the new and improved me. That was like, I'm yeah. a gay man. I got, to, I got to really like live in that. And everyone was like, cool. And I get to just like finally figure out what that was like to like to be me for the first time ever, like unabashedly so. And and I feel like that contract, I learned so much about myself, like my self-worth, being mm -hmm. able to my own skin and just sort of regaining my um my passion for performing and also my confidence. This yeah. gave me confidence because I feel like I feel like it was our cast was like a cast of like standouts. Everyone was amazing in their own right. And I, I just felt very strong and powerful doing these performances um, with this cast. So I felt like leaving that experience and going back to New York, I was like, now I'm ready. Now mm -hmm. I'm at the maturity level that I need to be at to like enter into these situations and really reclaim my space. Yeah, it's so it really sounds like you kind of hit that that threshold for yourself and kind of wanted to rediscover and kind of reinvent yourself and then yeah. come back a new person. And I hear that a lot sometimes people leave the city and they want to just come back different than they were when they, they were there. Yeah. And it sounds like you really had a great experience to help you get there. Um, I did. I was happy. I came back happy. I came back fresh, rejuvenated with a new mindset, a new sort of like yeah, tackle it all. There is a weight that the city has on you that yeah. can kind of keep pulling you down a little yeah. bit. 
Hell yeah. um, so coming back refreshed, you're you're just that little notch above maybe the next the person that's coming in after you for an audition or the person that was in there before, and people can see that 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 persona that you have yeah. that's happy or that's positive or motivated. They yeah. can really they really feed off of that. Yeah, I hope you shine. Yeah, like shine. They're just like, oh, we we want this person to be part of our cast or whatever. Yeah. So you come back after your year and you're in New York. How quickly after you come back are you are you doing something that you really wanted to be doing, like being on Broadway? The difference was I didn't just wait around for opportunities. I sort of like carved them out this time. Ah. And I got tipped off by a friend. They were like, you need an agent. And I was like, hello. Yep. Yes, of course I do. So this is like old school. This is like 2011. I remember putting together a demo reel. Headshot resume, and I remember putting them in manila envelopes and mailing them directly to casting agencies, directly to like Craig Burns at Telsey Company, you know, so and so at Tara Rubin, like, and being like attentioning a, a certain person and, and specifying what role I thought I was right for. Mm -hmm. And Telsey, back in the day, I had no representation then. They um, started calling me in for things. Yeah. You know, they're looking for fresh talent too, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. So I remember I got called in for what was the first thing? I think it was like the Adams Family tour or something. Oh, okay. It was like um American Idiot. There were like two things I got called in, and the third thing they called me in for, no agent, was Spider-Man. It was an open call for or it was a invited call for Spider-Man, because one of the one of the guys was leaving the show. And this is right before they opened the second version. Mm -hmm. And they I went in for it. And I remember that was the first audition. I remember just feeling ready. I feel like I'm being so present and just like aligned with the universe and being like, this is my time. And I remember walking to the front. Like normally I'm like tall, you know, I take up a lot of space. I would like stand in the back and be like, Oh, I'll like, I don't want to like, you know, encumber someone's learning space. And I was like, no, I walked right to the front. I stood beside the choreographer, Chase Brock. And I just like was in my zone. And I remember just like, being on fire and I could tell they were looking at me and just, I think you're right. I think it's like an energy thing. I was just mm -hmm. like, ready. Um, and I remember just like killing it. And then it, luckily for me, it's, it's more of a pop show and that's like my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. So I sang like a Stevie wonder thing. I went in there and just like wailed, you know, after they'd made a cut and all the guys, I remember it came out, all the guys were like, in the holding room were like, okay, she came ready to play. Yeah. And uh, I got a. I remember when I when I left the room after I sang, the director was like, "Hey, are you um afraid of heights?" And like, of course I am. And I was like, "No, not at all." I was like, "Let's do this." And then I had a callback, a flight callback. They had narrowed it down to me and one other guy, and they took us into the theater, and they hooked us up, and you know, they kind of like minimized the speed, the flight speeds to like twenty five percent, just so we could get like a feeling of what it would be like. Put the little the mats down. And kind of just like put us through our paces. And I remember again, just like being so laser focused. And I was like, I'm gonna get this, I'm gonna get this job. Mm -hmm. And also, like, I think this is important too. I think I, I remember just being very like garrulous and friendly to, to the crew who was like helping. I remember just being like commanding, commanding that sort of attention and space and like just just being friendly to everyone. And I remember the other guy, I don't even know who it was. He was just, I mean, he was like focused too, but he was kind of quiet and like more. And I don't, I think, I think that goes a long way. I think people are like, because I guarantee you the casting directors are asking the stage managers that were there. They were asking that they were like, who, who's got the chop, who would you rather work with? And, and those, decision. 
And those people that are on the crew, usually most times will not hold back with something that they say. They're like, if they oh, really right. like you, they'll automatically say, oh, I really like this. This yes, guy. 100%. Without even being asked. They'll be like, oh, yeah, I think that this one's going to be good. Yeah. And, what? and I mean, and then adversely, they'll say, I did not like that one. Yeah. And yeah. then that's your shot with it, you know? And that's the exactly. people that you're going to work with probably more regularly than the director and choreographer. Yeah, yeah because at this point, I, I would, to be completely honest, I remember watching him do the flights too. And I remember being like, I don't feel like either of us were any better than the other because we were both novices and we were figuring it out and we were kind of like clumsy and clutching around. Mm -hmm. I do think that gave me a leg up, pun intended. Just just being a, like more of a go-getter and being more charismatic and friendly. Yeah. Honestly. So that was your, you did Ariel, I mean, for the first time in this humongous yes. show. What's the high? So, just sorry to, to go off tangent. For what's me. the highest height that you went? To be, I don't even know, actually. That's a good question. Oh. I don't know. But I, I, the end of the show, I flew as the Green Goblin, like the big, you know, battle se sequence at the end. We flew over the audience. And we, I went, I flew from the upstage of the stage all the way to the top tier of the balcony and around. So, I mean, it, it must have been 50 feet or more. More than that. Yeah, more it's than three that. Three tiers, right? Yeah. Oof. Yeah, it was insane. It was insane. But it became it became such like, you know, after yeah. years. I remember, yeah, just like, I would like, here we go. I wasn't even thinking about it. Because it was choreography for that particular flight. I had like bicycle pumps and I had to like pump. That's how I, so the, the, the mechanism took me directionally where I was going, but I was in charge of like turning and like steering it to do the choreography or else I'd just be like, you know, tail spinning up there. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was I, wild. I, um, I'm, I'm like you, I, I deathly afraid of heights for oh. some reason, but and, and, you know, aerialists, they do, they do all their things and then they get tired and they need to test something else like a spreader bar. They need to a new spreader bar device. And they'd be always be like, okay, you go ahead, go ahead. Can you do this while they rest? And I'm like, <laughs> multiple times i'd go all the way up to the top and be like okay that's enough abort 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 and this is like 25 feet it was so low yeah. all the area was like oh this is too low and i'm like it's perfectly fine for it this is gonna be great you're gonna be fine doing this you were doing, doing that though you're like facility and everything yeah and i mean i just i would just get to the top and be like get me down get me get down, down the floor. so you do spider-man and then yeah. um what what do you keep what's next for you after spider-man um so after spider-man i immediately got a, a tonsillectomy so oh yeah things that kind of come to a head it was bad and i was like this they've got to go um so i kind of like convalesced from that for like i want to say two or three months mm -hmm. and i got back to like vocal pathology with jeremy a is his name and um worked with him for a while and then back into the audition scene uh at this point like during that time i had taken on an agent again i okay. sent out the stuff packets information to different agencies finally got an agent uh, i was with the mine for a few years so they started getting the appointments which was like huh like this is what you dream of you you can just yeah. show up and do your thing and you know they send you the packets of sides and um you know exactly what you're going in for and you're not wasting the amount of times i would go to actors equity back when it was like they would have the auditions there at like five in the morning to maybe be on the non-official non-equity list yeah. that maybe they would honor after they would see equity people. I mean, like years yeah. of that. Anyways, so um, got an agent. And then I 
Um, Pippin was the next thing I did. Uh, okay. And that, that summer of 2000, so Spider-Man closed January 2014, and I booked it summer 2014. Okay. Yeah, so I auditioned. And again, I just remember, I remember just going in there and just I almost did not go to that audition because the breakdown said we want unique individuals that that have like you know tricks basically you know, yeah. the show the circus even for the ensemble but I was yeah. like I can, I can give you some Fosse now Fosse is my jam but I was like even though yes I flew in Spider Man like that was a very specific thing I almost didn't go in because I was like this isn't me like I don't tumble I'm not like a contortionist I don't juggle um, yeah so but I, I, I remember the audition and I remember just like nailing the Fosse stuff and feeling yeah. so strong and powerful and sharp. And I remember them like really, you know, you can tell when they're watching you. Yeah. It makes you want to work even harder. And I was just like so like in it to win it. And um this particular show, I had like three or four callbacks. It was insane. It and was had insane. you seen the show previous to you going? I had. Yeah. That's it was good. incredible. Yeah. It was yeah, it was such an amazing show. Um but yeah, I had like three or four callbacks and I was on a cruise ship because I was guest entertaining on cruise ships at this point with this okay. Respected Boys, one of my many side hustles. You would hop on for like a week or two, where meet the ship wherever it would be. And we would, this specific show was like Jersey Boys, light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I got the call, that email from an agency while I was on a ship. Gotcha. Couldn't tell you where we were. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those problems. Yeah, it was Alaska. Um, but I was like, oh, and initially I was going to be just a replacement contract because one of the guys was taking a leave of absence. Mm -hmm. But then once I got into the show, he ended up not coming back. So the, the role was mine. Oh, very fantastic. And not too, not too much later, the show closed, right? I did the show for about eight months. Yeah, yeah. it closed, I think, January of 2015. Okay. So yeah. after two, after the show closes, do you keep going on Broadway? I can't remember. Um, what I did immediately after I was in, um, callbacks for on the town. So oh, they right. Gaby for all their press promo stuff. So we were going to like St. Louis and new Orleans to do like every Broadway show would send representatives from their show for these big, like tourism groups to come see the show for promotional mm -hmm. stuff. So I was doing that for a while. And then we did like the, um, the national anthem at the Yankee stadium and I, and I booked the show and then they get their closing notice. I was like, ah, yeah. Correct. Also another beautiful show. God. At the same theater where we did Spider-Man. Yeah. How it's interesting, right? Informed and it looked completely different. Completely different. It was mm -hmm. a completely different theater. Yeah. Um, so let's discuss a little bit about 2020. COVID yeah. has all of us kind of cooped up. What are you what are some things that you are doing during quarantine? Um I think something that I've I've really implemented into my life is like a daily routine. Okay. Um, so like my morning is like very sacred. I do my meditation, which like gets my head screwed on straight. Um, I'm like trying to learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. I'm using Duolingo. So I segues right into my Duolingo. <laughs> so I do my Spanish. Yeah. Practice. And then I do my, I this app called Elevate. It's like a brain training thing. I'm just obsessed with little things like, and it helps me like set the tone for the day. Yeah. Um, and now that the gyms are reopened, I go to the gym and that like mind, body, soul, it just lifts my spirit. Uh, I just feel better, the endorphins and everything like that. And I feel mm -hmm. like it just helps me like greet the day in a better place, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And 
creatively speaking, right before COVID, what were you doing? Um, I was on tour with Miss Saigon. So I'd been on tour for about 18 months. And we oh. were like nearing the end of our run. We were going to be done in July of this year. So obviously in March is when all hell broke loose. And um, yeah, yes. so we, we put us on a little hiatus initially. Yeah. Because we I thought we were going to resume. That was everybody. Everybody kind of just got put yeah. on this like two month hiatus. Yep. We'll be back in, you know, the summer. Yeah. But as a, as the quarantine goes on, what are how are you feeding your soul artistically throughout all this? Yeah, I mean, it definitely ebbed and flowed. There were moments of like panic and just sheer disbelief. And I was like, what is my life? I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like the rug had been, because I'm such a planner, you know, I like to like yeah. make a plan and like go into it with a battle plan, but leave a little room for spontaneity. But this is just like rule books thrown out the window. Like everything you thought you were going to do this year, forget about it. So I put myself on this like time frame. I've had this like inkling to write this musical, mm -hmm. like a sort of like biopic situation, a coming of age, loosely based on my life. And I was like, how many times have you begged and pleaded for time? Right. Only time. I was like, did you get time? You get nothing yeah. but time right now. And I wasn't necessarily like motivated and like impassioned every morning, but I, I, I made a commitment to myself to like from this time to this time to work on it and slowly just chipped away at it. And that's what got me through the summer, just having that regimen and before I knew it, you know, work would beget more work and progress would beget more progress because it's like, you're just aimlessly taking a stab at the dark at the beginning. You're like, where do I even begin? Yeah. It's so daunting. Where do I even start? And it's like, you start just like showing up, putting yeah. pen and paper and then being like, okay, well that was garbage, but I can take this line and then that spawns something else and then so on and so forth. And before I knew it, I was like, oh, I, I, it's it's all threading together. Like I'm connecting the dots. And um, before I knew it, like I think I gave myself 90 days to come up with the first draft mm -hmm. of the musical. And I did it. You did uh, it. Yeah. I, I talked with the director I want to use, who's a big uh, dear friend of mine and mentor. And he's also a genius dramaturge and playwright. And uh, he's taught me so much about, I work with him every year on Broadway Backwards, mm -hmm. the director. And so I'm the co-director and co-choreographer for that. He's taught me so much and just getting to work with him has been life-changing, but I sort of let him read it and he went over it two or three times, took some passes at it. And I was like, be honest with me, like don't sugarcoat it, you know, give me some constructive feedback. And he did, but he was blown away by what I had given him. He was like, this is, it's really truthful. It's really honest. It's really powerful. And it's really topical, like a lot nice. of things matter. And um, so now I'm currently working on the second, the second draft of it. What was that promise to yourself the your full motivation to keep going? Because mm -hmm. there's no, there's no, you don't have a boss. There's not anybody saying, oh, you have to get this done at a certain time. And you're not, you're honestly not getting paid to do any of this. So oh. what, what makes you say like, oh yeah, tomorrow I'm going to do, you know, this song or I'm going to write this portion yeah. of, of dialogue. What keeps you going on all that? You're so right. That was the hardest part because no one's here to police you. It's yeah. like if you whack off, no one's going to know, no one cares. I think what helped me was like enrolling people around me being like, I'm doing this and checking in with them and having them as accountability partners being like, all right, let's hear, let's hear what you, what you worked on this week and being able to like present that to them. Um, who, were those, who were those people for you that you had that accountability? Um, just a lot of my friends, my brother and his fiance um, who did Spider-Man with me. Uh, just 
yeah, again, my, my, my friend, Bob Bartley, who's my mentor, just like knowing that they were like in my corner cheering me on. Um, but were, then you ner- were you nervous to tell them? Did you feel like you had sure. saying it out loud meant that you had to do it? hundred percent. That yeah. was the scariest thing. And it's hard to be, it's hard to be um, objective about your own work. Sure. You know? Because you're, you're so deeply involved and like immersed in it. It's hard to like zoom out and be like, okay, what, what here is working and what here isn't working. And that's why I would bounce ideas off of people and kind of spitball with them because they would sort of give me some guidance and be like, mm, this to me doesn't tonally fit the style of your piece. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I think this, this, this song is redundant. Like it's saying it's, it's not propelling the story. So I think that definitely kept me on track. Um, and I think the other thing that kept me going, is just like, you know, she's not a spring chicken anymore. Right. <laughs> You know, I feel like I, I was a late bloomer as far as like, again, living up to my like stepping into my infinitude or whatever. So it's like time to tick in. It's like, you know, one of the, there's, one not, of the- there's not really there's not a handbook or a, a note session that says uh, um, this is how you write a musical. Right. There is definitely catalogs and catalogs of people who have done it and yeah. have given their their experience at it but not writing whole new whole musicals yeah. uh, music book the whole nine yards yeah how how did you do it I don't know <laughs> just like realizing that certain things like I think the the most challenging thing for me was the book like the, the the dialogue itself, the scene mm-hmm. work. I think, um, and I think going into it, I knew that wasn't my forte, but I knew I had a, a story to tell yeah. through my angle that was very personal to me. And I think the the only way to just sort of get like a skeleton down was, was for me to just put something down. That was my whole mentality going into it because what's held me back for years was perfectionism. I couldn't yeah. move on from something if it wasn't completely perfect. And I finally like cured myself of that. So now it's like, just like vomit something down. We can take the scalpel and go from there. But I think it was just like getting something down and then we can finesse from there. Just like knowing that like, that's the only way to move forward. You can't, or else it's like, you're, you're going to stall out. Yeah. And I think you, something that I can agree with during this time is that we've now become okay with things not being perfect Yeah, because we've had to live our lives virtually and everybody is trying these new things. So people, people are more sympathetic for things that aren't perfect anymore. And that's something that I also realized during this whole pause was I don't have to be perfect at it. I just need to try it, make the attempt the best that I can and say, yeah. okay, next. Yeah. <laughs> I want exactly. that next thing. So what did you think your story for this musical um there is a a need that you didn't see in other musicals 100% yeah there's, there's been you know it's it's you know gay closeted gay boy in the south um that has well-meaning parents very loving but that are very overbearing overprotective and a lot of religion plays into it um and the overarching theme is self-love mm-hmm. self acceptance and just stepping into your own greatness and there just aren't a lot of stories that, that, that it's like a slice of life 
takes you through childhood, through adolescence, through puberty, you know, grappling with homosexuality and belonging. How do I fit in grappling with like love, mm -hmm. uh, uh, dealing with shame and guilt and how to like reconcile that with who you actually are and trying to be a million different versions of yourself for a million different people. Just like a protagonist that sort of embodies all of that. Like we have a lot of shows, like there was like Bear the Musical, which was, which was good. And you know, there's, there's a lot of like, um, gay literature and theater that's, you know, dealing with the AIDS epidemic or like, mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there, there are, there is representation, but not this particular story, a coming right. of age story with the protagonists that's, that's dealing with all of these things that we all can relate to. Yeah. There's um, a lot of struggle that's in it. And yeah. I, I, I mean, this might sound like an unpopular thing to say, but at Please. some point one, when you watch Broadway shows, there is so much, um, what, how can you say this? How can I say this? There's so much that you already can predict is going to happen because sure. so many of the same people are doing this. The formula is the same because there is, um, there is a, uh, a selling point to these formulas and they know how to make money from these formulas. That's commercial. Commercialized. Yeah. And they, and that investors, because Broadway, pre-pandemic was so expensive um, to do that you need that formula that was going to drive in the money. Yep. So, but as a theater goer, you see so much stuff and you're like, okay, where is the new reinvention coming from? Mm -hmm. So when I heard that you did this 90 day challenge for yourself, I was so, uh, I was so intrigued by it because those new voices are something that I always thought Broadway was missing. Seeing mm. it, like, where are these young people? What mm -hmm. are they saying? What did, what do they have to say? And once you got this, we had this break in time. I'm so excited to see in five and ten years what that looks like, and that reflection is on the on the community itself because are those investors willing to take that next step, and yeah. are those directors choreographers that were doing these musicals have they pivoted and gone to something completely different i know i think it's time for that i think it's time for a, a shift in in the type of um material that's coming out and i think it's like any kind of trivial time in history that sort of new work is born from that mm -hmm. you know you know more like a whole new genre of music came about in right. protest of the war it's like it's like i think we're going to get some new art a new yeah. type of from this from this time period i had a conversation with a mentor friend of mine and she said we're in this position of you know asking questions so intensely because of this young mm -hmm. generation people are now questioning everything that they weren't questioning before you know race and cultural appropriation and and um uh, ethnicity in theater and, you know, being gay in, in different aspects of life, really just questioning all those things. And that, I think that resurgence is, is very strong and I'm super excited to see your, um, your musical and what happens with it. I, to be honest with you, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not letting <laughs> that, I'm not letting that hold me back. It's like, I, I don't claim to be any expert. I don't claim, you know, it's like first things first. That's what holds me back for so long. It's like, it's so overwhelming to look at the big picture. I'm like, okay, that's why I gave myself 90 days. I'm going to come up with this first draft and then we go from there and then we can shop it around. Yeah. You know, luckily I've been in the biz now for many years. It's like, 
I don't know how these things work, but I'm sure a shit going to like ask around and I'm going to like get advice. And I'm going to have lunches and dinners and pick people's brains and be like, Hey, do you know a person that knows a person that knows a person? Yeah. Learn as I go and maybe get some investors and some like interests and producers and do like a, do a table read and then do a workshop and then do however many incarcerations of it, uh, incarnations of it, it takes to make it happen, you know? Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the best thing about the pause and pre pause and just after it is that a lot of people don't necessarily know what they're doing, but no. we live in that era where like non traditional things or ways of doing things are the thing now. Yeah. Like the amount of times that people have funded projects via the internet. I'm like, who would have who would have known years ago that you'd be able to fund your entire business model on? Yeah. And that's and traditionalists wouldn't say that it would never happen. But now people are starting up companies solely yeah. off of donations from people yeah. rather than big investments. So sure. like what the what's possible is is now well beyond what we thought ever thought could happen. And I think it's such an exciting time where, and I know I asked a question to somebody else, but you know, in 2015, when somebody asked you where do you want to be in five years, of course, none of us saw this pandemic happening, but mm -hmm. what you learned during the past six to uh, six to 12 months, where do you see yourself in five years from now? Um, gosh, there's so many different like directions I could take my life. Um, I definitely want to get the show mounted. Yeah really important. It's become like one of the most important things in my life right now. Like I have this like innate calling, this like mm -hmm. intrinsic force. It's like, this is what you need to do. This will be like my legacy. I think. Mm -hmm. Nice. So I can definitely see how, however this pans out progress in that arena. Um, I don't think I'm done doing Broadway. I would love to be, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like transitioning into more leading man stuff right now. Yeah. And um, I actually just got a new job. Yes. I interviewed four times for this job. It's a complete 180 from theater. But yes. It's something very passionate about. I'm going to be a diversity and inclusion training senior recruiter for a company called Maximus. I start January 18th. Nice. I work remotely from home. Super excited. Like, they put me through my paces. Like I really prepared. I really studied. And I showed up to these to these interviews, like really wanting it. And I got it. I'm so excited. Got it. I mean, the, the work is really rewarding. Do you think that those, because you know, theater people or entertainers have such a unique skill set. Do you think that that skill set really helps you land this new role in your life? Yes. I can't tell you the amount of time we talked about, you know, what skills do you have that could be utilized in this capacity? And so much of it was like the discipline of it, the discipline mm -hmm. of, again, it's like just like showing up day in and day out, even when you're sick, even when you're tired. And, you know, learning these skills, the, the work ethic, the, mm -hmm. the ability to communicate, the ability to command a room when you're in it, the ability to convey what you're saying and articulate it eloquently and charismatically, where it's like, you're not just like a robot speaking, mm -hmm. you know, monot monotonously. Um, I think it's, it's learning, like teaching dance, learning to read a room, yeah. so to, to move in a cadence that, that keeps it moving. But you're communicating with people on their level, and you're you're that resonates with them. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think ultimately, for you during this pandemic, is 
being self-motivated. I mean, yes. that's such a that's such a trait that a lot of people in entertainment have. You have to be self-motivated to go out there, to go to that audition with 600 other people and do it twice a day, six days a week, you know, and and motivating yourself to produce this musical in, in 90 yeah. days. And then the rejection too, the, the rejection yeah. aspect where you you have to grow a set. <laughs> you yeah. have to grow a strong backbone because you're, you're getting told no. I mean, 90% of the time. Yeah. 95% of the time. You know what I mean? So it's like picking up the pieces and like taking a moment to mourn it and be like, all right, we got to keep moving because there's no time to wallow and your self-pity. You know, it's like, let's, mm-hmm. how can we learn from this? How can we take it? Let's keep it moving. Let's go. You uh, mentioned that this new job for you is something completely different, 180 degrees. And I'm nervous and I, I'm asking a few people about this. What when when theater comes back, mm-hmm. how many people do you think are gonna come back to being performers? I don't know. I mean, I can speak for myself right now. The good thing about this job, I was very transparent about the fact that I'm an actor and that that's my passion and that's what I've been doing for most of my life. And they're like, I think you're gonna be able to do both. Like, I think I'm gonna be able to have this job. They're very flexible with the hours. It's a lot of work, but they're like, as long if you need to shuffle some things around sometime. Um, so I think I'm gonna be able to do both, honestly, which is gonna be great. I just, I've been yearning for that stability. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's gonna be so nice. Uh, I do think that a lot of people that I've spoken to, some friends of mine that have lived here for a long time, if, speaking of the strong backbone, like if they were already teetering on the fence of like, I've kind of been wanting a way out for a while. Like now yeah. my my exit strategy. Now's my time to take my curtain call and sort of be like, namaste. Um, I think there's that category of people. I think there's a group of people that they're like, I'm not going to like piss my money away in New York yeah. during this time. Uh, so they kind of went home. Yeah. And some people are going to come back. Mm-hmm. And then I think you have the people that have, been, that have been like sticking it out here in New York and sort of making it work for them. Yeah. Uh, like pivoting like I've been doing some commercial work recently which has been awesome I've never done it before uh, I've been submitting myself on actors access child I pay for that $60 old premium plan yes you know filled up my profile booking some commercials making it work yourself yeah it's that motivation that that you yeah. need to continue on all of this yeah and like yeah. being innovative too and not, and not just like being like this is the one and only way I can do theater and express my artistic creativity and it's like I'm not also going to wait on my agent I'm not going to just sit around and be like, well, he hasn't sent me in for anything. It's like, what are other, what are my other options? I'm not yeah. one to just rely on people. I've been a independent woman for many years. <laughs> Throw y'all hands up at me. <laughs> yeah, and you've really, you've really unfolded that those new discoveries for yourself, and really kind of paved your own way in a in a sense to do everything that you wanted to do. So and, and disclaimer, let me just say this too, disclaimer that I sound like I have it all together. You know, I'm fake it till you make it. And there are days where I am black and blue and I just want to sit in bed and eat my bonbons and whatever. And you know what I mean? Like, I don't have it figured out. Yeah. I'm, I'm slowly learning. It's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> and like paving my own way. But I definitely... I'm painting myself out to be some like heroic sort of like no 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 no, no. like yes and no yeah the funny thing about it all is like you know you started writing this handbook about your life and then uh, come March you had to you had to destroy it because you found new discoveries within yourself and you're kind of rewriting that that handbook for yourself yeah. for those you know twenty thirty plus years before 
mm-hmm. and you you kind of just what is right what isn't right you know you kind of be gentle with yourself but yeah. you've really you've really found amazing amazing things during the past six to nine ten months i don't know anybody in my circle or extended circles that has the discipline to sit down and write you know a two and a half hour musical so that's i was completely impressed by it and then when you told me the story behind who knows what's that i said maybe it's rubbish who knows it might not be but we but we only way to know if it's going to be bad or good is to keep going with it. You know, that's, that's the only way that, that you'll find out how true it is. Um, but once I heard the story and then some snippets of songs, I was like, Oh, this is, this is the tea. I'm ready for it. Potential. It definitely has potential. And I think anything born out of truth. Yeah. And honesty and like from your intention behind it, I think it's going to be, it has like the ingredients to be successful. And yeah. I, I, I have this vision of like inspiring the youth of America Yep. Being a voice for people that don't have voices, a kid that's like 12 in Iowa, that's like, that now has the av- ability to get online and like, see that there is a way out that see that you're not just stuck in a rut and that you have mm-hmm. no other options. It's like, I want to inspire people and, um, and have these, these deep discussions. Yeah. And you want to, you want to be that person to that 12 year old boy in Iowa that's picking a musical theater song to sing, yeah. you know, for an audition. You want to be that that connection for him to yeah. tell his story or, or, or her or they, or them, whoever it is, you exactly. want to be that connection for them. But, um, you, presentation, you know, like, it's like one of my favorite things I wrote from this musical, it's a male, male love duet. And it's like, you don't, you, I can count on like one hand, the amount of those. Maybe yeah. even and it's like, I want that. I want to normalize that. I want that to be like, you know, a kid in musical theater that can for their like, you know, Wednesday juries where they get up in front of their class and they can sing a love song to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, yeah, I think there's, I think that's possible. We all think that's, we hope that it's possible. You know, we just need the, we just need to see it un- unfold. But, um, Adam, thank you so much. Your, uh, your journey to get to where you are is so inspiring. If you had to, if you had to give some advice to yourself in five years, what, what is it? Um, I don't wait. I think you, wait. you hit the nail on the head earlier when you were like, you know, the, you're kind of doing all this stuff now that you've over the, you know, making up for the the past many years of, of being trapped inside of a, like a vice grip on your heart and your brain. And it's like, now I've like shattered the glass ceiling and I'm like, finally just like stepping into my life and my, and I just, I wasted so much time being insecure and worrying about what others thought and comparing myself and just sort of like diminishing myself and like, dimming my light, you know what I mean? For other mm-hmm. people thinking I wasn't enough. And it's like uh, living in fear and not, not taking action. Again, that's my advice. It's just like, you know, take responsibility for your own actions and just take action. Yeah. You know, just hopes and wishes and like dreams. And it's like, Oh, it's lovely. But it's like, none of that's going to happen. Sure. Even manifestation. It's like, you can manifest it. That's the first step. But then you got to like, see it through, take mm-hmm. like steps and like, make it happen. Yeah. That's- and I had this, I had this uh, one last thought. I had this conversation, and I said, "Is it the inevitable that's happening now, or is it the reinvention mm. of the inevitable that's happening right now?" Because are you just saying, saying things that you've put off for so long are happening, or have you thought about that, reinvented yourself, reinvented that thought, and now it's it's a, it's a separate new entity of itself? Oh, wow. I, 
I, it's kind of, I'm definitely throwing that around in my brain as, as the, we enter 2021. But let everybody know how they can find you on social media, Adam. Well, I am at Adam Ant9, A-D-A-M-A-N-T-9 on Instagram. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. I have a few songs on, um, I've been writing some original music on Spotify, any streaming platform, iMusic, platform. Apple Music, and uh, iTunes, Adam Roberts. Check me out. More to come. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun five years for you, I think. I think so. I, I feel like I've always known, I've had a feeling that in my 30s, I'm really going to flourish. Yeah. And I just feel the, I feel the momentum, like the wheels, we're, we're just getting going. Yeah. I think I, it took me a, a lifetime to get where I am now. You know what I mean? Where it's like, maybe yeah. it's the mission, maybe it's stepping into my greatness, but it's, I definitely feel the momentum picking up speed and it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to look back and I'm not going to. That's um, slow the train down. Yeah. And I, uh, it's funny that you say your 30s. I, I did the same exact thing. I, I When I was younger, I was like, oh, I feel like my, you know, 27 was going to be a good year for me. 35 was going to be something started and then like 42, like early 40s. And yeah. I, it's so strange because the seeds that I planted in 35 are now becoming into fruition now that I'm yes. 36 or 37. So yeah. when, I, when I look back on things, it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily wrong about 35, but I had done the work when I was 35 to make 37 better. Yes. Even though it's like slow, there've been some slow years or like things that seem so uh, inconsequential or I was just like, oh, it was like a throwaway thing. And it's like, wait, 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 no, that relationship that I fostered yeah. in is now coming back into play or that random little one-off gig I did. It's like, yeah. oh, now that's full. There's a full circle moment happening now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right, Adam. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I love you, friend. I love talking to you all the time. Always. Let's do it again soon. Yay. Thanks. Proud of you. You're amazing. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. To view additional content, follow Ease Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe and leave comments on the episode wherever this podcast can be found. See you next week.